So here we are, the first day of Passover, which gets a lot of attention because some pretty big stuff happened on this day, I would suggest. Blood on the doors, angel, well, that happened last night, angel of death, don't break your bread, don't bake your bread. Egypt loads you down with gold and silver and you walk out free, redeemed, under, no longer under the burden of slavery. Now you are free. We're out of here. This is the celebration of the first night and first day of Pesach. We're out of here. But, but, if we truly consider this, is this deliverance? Like, is this, is this salvation? Have we arrived at salvation now that we've come out of Egypt and we find ourselves in the desert? No is the answer. And you know why that is the answer? Because who would be coming behind us in the very near future with chariots and soldiers? Pharaoh. So he thought he did good, but then he decided he was upset that he had done that. And so he sent his men and himself after the now free people. So question for you, if you as Americans are free, which we are, right? Would you consider yourself free if every time you got in your car and pulled out of your driveway and drove down the road, it was a police chase as they're coming after you with sirens blazing to try to pull you over and throw you in jail or worse yet, shoot you? Is that freedom? That's not freedom. We need something else. We need salvation. We need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to be taken away from the enemy, away from the attack that was sure to come. When did that happen in our Passover story? It's a bit of a strange departure here as we have a teaching on the first day of Passover about the last day of Passover. But we're looking forward with excitement. When did Egypt go into this, when did Israel go into the sea and come out of the sea and Egypt go into the sea and not come out of the sea? What day? The seventh day. The seventh day. So the first day we got out, the seventh day we got saved. Right? There's a, there's, there's a very, very big significance to what happened. And you remember that story In Exodus, when Pharaoh drew near and they lifted up their eyes, the Egyptians were marching after them. They feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, is it because there are no... Oh, wait, let me use the proper voice. Moses! Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That's the kind of whining that I would expect. Like, that's what Kelly does to me all the time. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If anybody in our house whines, you're looking at him. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better to us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. What day? The seventh day. 
the seventh day after they came out. Fear not, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and have, and you have only to be silent. I love that. Sometimes we just need to be silent and let God do what he's going to do and follow along. And God said, paraphrasing, stop whining to me and go forward. And what did they do? They went forward. They stepped into the sea in faith and the waters parted and they went through, right? Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Which day? The seventh day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore and we sing, and we sing the song of the sea in Shachrit. We sing it every day remembering this salvation that took place on the seventh day. So the seventh day in some Jewish circles has come, uh, well, which circles? Particularly those of the more charismatic lean, which we would call Hasidic circles in Judaism, have taken the seventh day and created something that is a monument and testimony to salvation that took place. Now, stick with me because this is what we're looking at. This is, this is the, not really the conclusion of the story, but it's, it's for us looking forward to the conclusion. The story of God's salvation of his people. Now the parallels for us as believers are not hard to see when we consider the significance of the Passover lamb. Messiah Yeshua, his death, descent, and resurrection as our hope for a glorious future. It was his going down and coming up that is our salvation, yes? That music wore you out, didn't it? You awake? It wore me out, okay. So he went down, he went up, and he has saved us as well. And here's the question. Is our redemption complete? Is the redemption of Israel complete? As history has borne out very well, no. Is Israel in Israel? Is all of Israel in Israel? No. Is that supposed to happen? Yes. Is the kingdom of God established over the world? No. Is that supposed to happen? Yes. Are we fully living as believers with Torah completely written on our heart around the world that the new covenant has been inaugurated? Yeshua took up the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Has that been completely poured out and realized? How many people do you know that do not have Torah written on their heart? That's a promise of the Brit Hadashah, not what we call the New Testament, the New Covenant. So is our redemption complete? No. We are looking forward. Yes? Yes. And everything is hinging now on the coming of Mashiach. Everything, the last chapter, the, the whole deal hinges, and Paul says, 
You know, in Romans, when he's talking about the creation groaning, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. We are not there yet, right? We are saved. When the story comes to conclusion, we will be there by the blood of the Lamb. But we're not there yet. In this life, you will have trouble. Always think of that. Um, There is this miracle of the Seder. We had a good Seder last night. We had joy. We had celebration. We had Neil Diamond karaoke. We had a time. But four cups at the Seder. Sanctification, deliverance, redemption. And the last cup? Hope. Hope. It's what we're hoping for. In the words of the famous Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the cup, the ultimate leap forward will be with the coming of Messiah. That is the story. And in the words of our rabbi in Matthew 26, I, t- tell, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What's the miracle? What's the miracle of the Seder? The miracle for us now as we look back with gratitude, with joy, with celebration, and we also use it as an opportunity to look forward with the anticipation of the ultimate celebration. And so, with that in mind, in capturing the idea, a 1700s rabbi, the Baal Shem Tov is his nickname, or the Besht is also what he's known as, came up with this idea, the idea that says redemption is not complete. We are still looking forward. There was not really a tangible connection in Judaism so much of a celebration of this idea. And so Israel ben Eliezer, the Baal Shem Tov, who is the founder, I should say, of the Hasidic movement of Judaism, and I already alluded to Hasidic movement, but that's its own sermon for sure, so let's describe it this way. In its original form, Hasidic Judaism was Jews believing that prayer and acts of loving kindness are means of reaching God, not being saved by God, reaching God, being in constant communication, being connected. Hasidic philosophy is less ritualistic than other branches of Judaism, places a greater emphasis on emotion, on warmth, on inclusiveness. You could say it like it's like charismatic Judaism. How's that? His message, that of the Baal Shem Tov, was to have the consciousness of the presence of the Almighty God at all times, in all things, so that even the most mundane tasks were sanctified. In everything, be connected to God. And so the, this, this idea that we're talking about called Sudat Mashiach, the meal of Messiah, 
was one of those ways particularly connected to the Pesach. What is it? It's easy. The first Seder looked back. The meal of Messiah looks forward. And for Messianic believers who are looking forward to the coming of Mashiach, it's as if it was made for us. At this meal, joy, joy, joy is the theme. It's still a Seder. It's a festive meal. Four cups of wine were added later. But in the words of another uh, famous traditional rabbi, the Tzimach Tzedek, the first day of Pesach is Moses' festival. The last day of Pesach is Mashiach's festival. And the meal of Messiah in Scripture, is there such a thing, first of all? Because I know I have some people, some purists, and particularly now we have people that listen uh, to messages like on iTunes and stuff who say, I don't find that in the Scripture anywhere. There can't be any benefit to doing that if it's not in the Scriptures. Is it in the Scriptures? Well, It's a relatively recent development in Judaism, so much so that many sects of Judaism do not observe it. Uh, But I think Messianic Judaism as a sect of Judaism should certainly be celebrating something that celebrates Messiah, right? So maybe that makes sense for us to be the inaugurators here, but concept of the meal of Messiah, also known in Scripture as, what might you say? the wedding supper, the messianic banquet in in rabbinic literature. In Isaiah 25, 6, we find this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. When God picks the grapes, you can count on the wine, okay? On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. This is Isaiah talking. What does this sound like? Sounds like some kind of pretty awesome messianic meal where there is no death. Hmm. I recall something about Yeshua swallowing up death forever. I recall something in Revelation about swallowing up death forever and who would be the one who would do that? Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach! Thank you for helping me with that. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. Jewish tradition and legend has much to say about this particular meal, the banquet of God. And I'm reading here something from, let's see, this is from the Haggadah for Meal of Messiah. Actually, some of what I've already shared with you came from this Haggadah. But I want to read you something about ancient Jewish legend and the speculation on this feast that has been occurring for thousands of years The sages imagine that in the future God will prepare a feast for the righteous in the Garden of Eden. 
All that rich and sweet wine that we just talked about from Isaiah, you know where it comes from according to Jewish tradition? The grapes from where? Gan Eden, from the Garden of Eden. You want to talk about aged wine. You want to talk about aged wine and a great vintage. God will prepare a feast. He will recline with them at the table. The main course will be the meat of the legendary beasts, Leviathan. You know that Leviathan is in the Bible, right? That's not some science fiction movie or a spaceship. That's in the Bible. And behemoth. You've heard that word before. That is also biblical and Hebrew. Behemoth is the great land beast. Leviathan is the great sea monster. Along with wine, which has been preserved in its grapes since the six days of creation. In the future, the Holy One, blessed be He, will prepare a banquet for the righteous from the meat of Leviathan. And from the meat of behemoth, you now know what you have here, right? Holy surf and turf. (laughs) With the best wine to go along with it. So... Get ready. He will make a sukkah for the righteous out of the skin of Leviathan. And the rest of the skin he will spread out upon the walls of Jerusalem and its splendor will shine from one end of the world to the other as it is said in Isaiah 63, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The Holy One, blessed be he, will make a banquet for the righteous in the Garden of Eden. He will give them drink Wine preserved. Again, this is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal and it's kind of a consistent deal that Yeshua took this wine and said, I won't do this again until that. I think maybe he was saying, because the first two glasses weren't very good used to w- w- for, for what I'm used to getting. I'll wait for the good stuff that's coming when I come back in the kingdom. That's what we're looking for. But are we copying? I mean, we're going to take something that we do on earth and we're going to copy this meal without Yeshua? No, that's not the point. It's not to try to, to make the messianic banquet. It's to make a meal of prolepsis. You know that term? Prolepsis is the, like, the idea of... Um, how, how the, the, the seeing a thing uh, existing before it actually does, okay? It's kind of like prophecy, but not really. Prolepsis. It's the act of seeing a thing before it has actually come to reality. So when we celebrate the meal of Messiah as Messianic believers, we are looking forward. For the Hasidim, though, going back to our friends, this meal, the, the meal of Messiah, Sudat Mashiach, they believed that in eating the matzah and drinking the wine, a new and deeper connection with Messiah was being established. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Tangibly, the elements tangibly going in and leading spiritually to a change. Hmm, that sounds familiar. John 6.53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. This is a strange text, isn't it? It obviously ran some people off 
Not, not the ones who are in for the long haul. But that scared a lot of people because it's not very Jewish to talk about eating flesh and drinking blood. But when you see it, better yet, Matthew 26, 26, 28, take this and eat. This is my body. Drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant. That Hasidic idea is right there in terms of what Yeshua was saying. It's a very, very Jewish thing to say. Yeah, we already do that. It's called communion. No, it's not called communion. It's called Passover. That's when Yeshua did it. That's why we did it last night. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we have a very, very, very special and beautiful proleptic, if that's actually a word, celebration to look forward and we consume again in a very special, directed, particular way the elements of Messiah Yeshua so that we can be continually spiritually transformed. Why do you have to make it more difficult? Why can't we just do communion? Because this is better. I'm not saying communion is bad, I don't, don't, and, and not that we don't do communion, but at this particular season, there is no better celebration. Do this in remembrance of me. We sang Zegufi. The meal of Messiah is looking back? Absolutely not. We're looking forward. Is this in the Bible? Well, you got to make that decision. But you know what? I can find plenty of... Well, as a matter of fact, is this in the Bible? Who's familiar with, as an example, the Baptist church? Anyone familiar with the Baptist church? You know how long the Baptist church has been around? Right. John the Baptist was the first member of the Southern Baptist Coalition. Baptist Church, I think, and I haven't verified it real well, but I'm pretty sure it's around 1700 is when late 1600s, early 1700s, so we're talking about 400 years for a religion that has how many millions and millions and millions and millions of people? How about charismatic Christianity, evangelical Christianity? How long? Azusa Street. When was Azusa Street? Early 1900s. How many charismatic and evangelical believers do we have in the world who subscribe to this type of theology, for lack of a better word? Right? These are not things that you can find in the Bible necessarily, but they're things that somebody had an experience and said, hey, let's do this. This will work, and other people came along beside it. I can't find a better experience, actually, I don't think, than a complete celebration of the coming Messianic age. But I want to go back for just one second, because I want to point out one thing. This is traditionally, of course, celebrated on the seventh day, right? But in the diaspora, we're celebrating it on what day? The eighth day. The eighth day, why? Because it's the last day of Passover for us. 
It's the last day. It's the last day when we look back and we transform and we look forward. But why do we really do it? Why do we really celebrate? Why do we even have eight days of holidays? I told you this in a message a couple of weeks ago. What is the eighth day Pesach? It is a reminder of something not so tremendously wonderful. What is that? That we are in exile. We are in exile. We are not redeemed in the sense of completion. Please do not hear me saying that we are not redeemed because we are to completion. And so the eighth day reminds us now in particularly that the seventh day was truly the deliverance from the sea of reeds. Down, up, saved, and out of here. But we have one more day because we're in exile. The eighth day reminds us of that. And so we celebrate. We are awaiting final redemption. The redemption of the new covenant and it is our sincere hope that the truth of Messiah will be revealed to all. Maybe that's why he's delaying. You ever thought about it? We have work to do. But every piece that Yeshua, every piece of the Passover, Yeshua has a match. What started on Nisan 14, sacrifice of the Pesach, right? The lamb. And Yeshua's sacrifice, when was it? 14 Nisan. Nisan 16, in Joshua 5, Israel goes into the land, and for the first time, they partake of the first fruits of the land, right? After Passover. When does Yeshua rise? 16 Nisan, first fruits, resurrection from the dead. Nisan 21st, Israel was saved. What day was the 21st? The seventh day, Israel was saved to Red Sea, out of the Red Sea, to life on the other side. Yeshua's match? Don't have it yet. We don't have it yet. It's not as if we're drowning in the sea. That's not where we are. But we're, it's as if we've come through the sea and we've come up to the other shore and we're, we're standing there with expectation, waiting. Because that last piece has not yet come to completion. So here we wait. And as the Timach Tzedek said, the last day of Pesach is the conclusion that, of that which began on the first night. The first night of Pesach is our festival commemorating redemption from Egypt by the Holy One, blessed be He. It was the first redemption carried out through Moshe, who was the first redeemer. We've talked about that a lot. It was the beginning. The last day of Pesach is our festival commemorating the final redemption, when the Holy One, blessed be He, will redeem us from the last exile through our righteous Mashiach, who is the final Redeemer. And so we kind of stand on the shore, knowing that they can't get us, but we want to go forward. We want to go into the kingdom. And so we wait. And we recall and we rejoice on the eighth day, the eighth day, the day of new beginnings. Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, 
a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. That's the power the enemy has over you, which is none if you allow it. Extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. That's what Yeshua did. That's the victorious life. That's the life we can go forward through. But Yeshua said, I mean, Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. For see, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, and we're waiting for the new thing. So on the first day of Passover, yes, I'm talking to you about looking forward to the seventh and to the eighth day of Passover, because in our congregation, we are going to celebrate what is to come, the prolepsis. And we are yearning, yearning, burning in our hearts for our rabbi. Our Messiah tells us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. There is a text in the Torah portion last week in Sav that talks about the fire, all, that, the, that the perpetual fire should be kept burning on the altar. You remember reading that? That the perpetual fire must be burning always. It shall not go out. This is our hearts that burn for the coming of Messiah. So really, I want every day of Pesach going forward for us to be a day of looking forward, a day of expectation. We take this time on Nisan 14, Nisan 15 at our seders. We look back, we celebrate redemption, we, we rejoice in that. But I want us to be looking forward also because that's the promise we've been given. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Anima amin, the song. Anima amin, I believe with complete faith in the coming of Mashiach. And though he may tarry, I will wait for him every day. And so, with that said, my friends, I hope and pray that as we come together and celebrate the meal of Messiah as our tribe and congregation, that our hearts continue to burn like the fire that does not go out in the altar, that we continue to fan the flames of yearning and calling out for Mashiach. The meal of Messiah that we will celebrate is simply our rehearsal. It is simply our rehearsal, our connection to fan the flames. So I pray that you'll join the tribe this Friday as we celebrate the coming 
of Yeshua at the meal of Messiah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.